Hello everyone and welcome back. Today we have another very long overdue episode with Jenny Radcliffe, uh, aka the Pickball Hacker, aka the Queen of Social Engineering, and also fellow podcaster and host of the Human Factor Security Podcast. We discussed today how she started in effectively social engineering or what um, wasn't called social engineering at the time, the difference between the technical social engineering um, hosting and the more traditional social engineering um, and also how to use social engineering for good and for bad how that applies to different things like sales and other and other things and how to use it for really good also don't miss uh, the human factor tv uh, it's a series of shows that uh, jenny uh, did uh, on youtube and also enjoy the Lockdown Diaries that is the new season of her podcast. So I really encourage you to go and listen to her podcast. In the meantime, enjoy the Cybersecurity Club podcast. Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have one very special guest, the queen of social engineering, a fellow podcaster, pen tester, or everybody knows her for social engineering skills and how prominent is she on podcasting and social engineering. So as a fellow podcaster, Jenny Redcliffe, Welcome to the show. Hi, Francesco. Thanks for asking me. It's a pleasure to be here. And thanks for that amazing introduction. <laughs> <laughs> the queen of social engineering. Yes, I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> Humbly accept the queen of social engineering. I think you deserve it. I mean, you've been, you've been on, on so many shows and uh, you've done a, a great collaboration with ITSP. So it's, it's good to have you on the show. And I know how super busy you are. So it's a massive thank you. For oh, that's all right. No problem. It's nice, it's nice to be here. I think I've ju- I'm just old. <laughs> I, th- I think people <laughs> say like, they, oh, you, you know, you, you sort of, you always think of you and you're a social engineer and I've just been around a long time. That's probably right. You're trying to social engineer me to be nice. <laughs> Are you paying me to social engineer you? Then no, I will not be social engineering you today. I, I remember that quote when you were saying, like, please don't social engineer me. It's like, you're not paying me, so I'm not going to spend my time. <laughs> it's not a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing yeah. is a freebie in this world. But no, a massive thank for coming on the show. And uh, we have a tradition on the show to have a, novel, a little bit of an overview on the industry. So what do you think about the industry nowadays? Uh, InfoSec and social engineering, what's your opinion on the industry as a whole? Okay, well, I, I mean, I think certainly at the moment, you know, we're in sort of the middle of 2020. And from a from a social engineering and a scams and cons, I mean, they're all sort of coloured at the moment, with the flavour of COVID and, and, the, and the pandemic. And certainly a lot of the people that I'm talking to, a lot of the clients that I'm working with have been concerned that 
the social engineering scams that they're seeing and, and the, of the cons that their staff are seeing are obviously all along that theme. So I think that's an interesting thing. I think what's interesting for me is the amount of uh, businesses um, and experts that have kind of <laughs> sort of uh, emerged to deal with, with that issue. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's, it's almost like that's a danger in itself. You know, th these are real criminals. These are real uh, dangerous attacks that we're seeing. And I just think that... Um, I'm advising clients to be very careful about who they hire and mm -hmm. to ask just a few questions before we just zoom in and just hire an expert. And I think that that's true of the industry as well. I think it's, it's difficult for a customer to make the right choice because there's so many terms. It, it must be very confusing for people sometimes. Yeah. So I think, I, I think we're seeing that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Social engineering is so new. Right. It, well, I would argue it's the oldest of the skills in the industry. There were social engineers the minute one human being wanted something off another human being and decided to lie to get it. Um, whereas you techies have only been around for a little while, you know. <laughs> um, so we're actually the oldest of the uh, the most established uh, of the industry. And I, but I know what you mean. It's a the term it's, it's social a, engineering has yeah oh kind of, it's very has, new yeah it's been kind of corny as it's been released in the wild since just a little while and everybody nowadays is calling social engineering so how do you think distinguish uh, if I was a business yeah how do you distinguish a good social engineering from a bad one because there is a lot of fluff around the term so let's let's remove the fluff <laughs> around the term and let's make it real. Well, it'd be nice to think that if you were hiring someone as a social engineer to be on your side. So I'm, I have a few clients uh, that retain me as their kind of pet social engineer, right? So I'm always on their books and there to advise them. I think the main thing is, is to, uh, it would be nice to think that if you had someone advising someone about social engineering, that they'd actually done some social engineering, um, apart from talk about social engineering, um, Social engineering is not social media. Uh, that sometimes that's the only bit of social engineering anyone ever does is, is really? uh, raise their social media profile. So I would say to clients, if you and just the same as any expert, ask if you want to hire someone to be a social engineer to do that type of job for you, and um, talk to them about their last three jobs in detail because you've got to. It's the type of topic where when you're in security, it's very hard to, to get references because of confidentiality. It's very hard to speak to former clients, but you can speak to someone for a little while, almost like a mm. job interview before you hire an expert in this topic and um, talk to them for about half an hour, an hour or so. And really, really, I'd say to, to people, really dig beneath what they say. So how exactly did you do, you know, say to them, how exactly did you do that? Oh, what? So you walked into a company, you know, dressed as a dinosaur. Tell me a little bit about that. Because that doesn't sound very logical. That doesn't sound quite right. Tell me more about that. And I think what happens then is you start to separate people who've done the work from people, from people who say they've done the work. And just to tell you something, I had a, there was a person contacted me on social media, actually, um, because... Actually, no, I, I, I contacted them because I thought they'd make a good guest for my podcast. And it emerged very quickly uh, to me that they thought I was one of the, was a, um, I was going to say, I don't know if you're allowed to switch. Do you allow swearing on your show? Yeah. Okay. So, 
<laughs> we, we encourage it on, on the human factor we encourage it of course but and i could tell they thought i was one of these bullshit like you know social media uh, social engineers actually that's a new term a social media social engineer and they were like oh well i don't know if i want to come on your show because and and so i said no i said that's okay leave it but they wouldn't leave it and in the end i had to call a zoom um, and I had to, and I had to talk to them and say to them, okay, come on, ask me anything. And it was only after they did that 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 person realised that I'd actually done the job. And I think that's the danger. Um, so yeah, if you're going to hire a social engineer, really dig deep as to what they've actually done. So, and, and three phishing emails and one phishing call do not a social engineer make. You know, you need somebody who's really done the job. So for example, on 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 the phishing, because <clears throat> now it's prominent, just sending a phishing email to a target is not a good sign, for example, on social engineering, but maybe setting up a server with, you know, a captive portal or a portal where phishing is there in a clever way or using traditional service, similar to that, probably will make a good technical social engineer. And as you rightfully say, technicality and social engineers may be two different skills. Well, listen, if you raise a good phishing email, phishing email and you capture your target, I have massive respect for that. You know, we are convinced by whatever, you know, whatever we, are, we find, whatever is convincing is what we are convinced by. Right. So if it only takes a small phishing email to convince a whole company, then hats off to that person. And um, we sent that email. It's, it's not that so much. It's just that I think there needs to be effort into it. Um, and I think, there are two types of phishing email and I'll go into the second part of your question in a minute, but there's the type of phishing email, a standard email and you send it out to, you know, everyone in the company and, and just on percentages, someone's going to click on it, you know, and, and, um, you long time or the right time, uh, or it's going to have something in it that just rings true and that they, they click and that's fine if that works. But then there's the type of email that I would have more respect for in a way, which is a more targeted spear fish you know, something really tailored to design to push all their hot buttons and get them to definitely answer. And I prefer that approach. I'd prefer to a scattergun is, is, is the way I'd look at it. And, and in terms of, you know, I have massive respect for technical social engineers. In fact, if you know, if you can have someone who's technical, but can do the people side of things, CEO. Yeah. And there are people in this business who I admire massively for that. I think Ray, is a good friend of mine and someone who on this whole pick and Joe can do both. Um, and Richard can from the anti-social engineer that that whole, they're all very good at it. Shark. So, you know, there's some people who can do both of those things, but what I would say is when I talk about social engineering and a lot of useless at the, I talk about purely the human side of that. Like what could you socially engineer someone if the internet was face? Uh, and you had no time to prepare, can you get that person, you know, could you manipulate that person around? And that's the social engineering. It's really the weaponization of human beings. And that's really what we do in my mood of living on. Makes me sound very sinister. We were mentioning uh, technologies versus people, people focus. And I know that you are very focused on the people aspect. So if I wanted to start, uh, if, Anybody that is listening wants to start on that track. What would you suggest? And what are the steps that you suggest? On the people aspect, on, on, on the social engineering, pure people aspect, pure, pure, pure psychologist. 
Yeah, I'm asked this a lot, you know, and it's it's funny because it, it there isn't really um, even in a lot of the degrees that are in um, security, they don't really have a social engineering no um, discipline or a module. Even it's something that I've written courses on myself, and I hesitate to release them because Why? it's training because it's training people to be it could be so badly abused you're training people to be potentially really really bad people because psychology is at the end of the day it's, it's as powerful as anything else so i talk in some of the talks i mean just just to give you an idea one of, i finish a lot of my talks with ness and dorma ness and dorma which you would know being italian and i say that's not what you want you don't you know if you end up on my list it's ness and dorma and and, and that's the thing so um, so it's hard. So there's nothing really official that I would endorse. Uh, there's very few training courses on it. There's, um, and those that there are that I've seen um, are, are fine, but it, I wouldn't necessarily say it sets you up to be a social engineer. So there are some military um, and police uh, law enforcement courses and people who specialise in, in the UK and in the US anyway. So it's hard to like, really study it. I would suggest... I mean, I can get the, my three-word answer is watch the humans, um, and, and by which I mean you need to read everything anthropology. Um, I mean, I have a list. I actually did a training. Was it night before last? I did a training, and I was teaching people nonverbal comms. It was just a free online nonverbal communications, microfacial expressions. I also teach lie detection, um, which people should bear in mind. I teach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I teach things like uh, physiology and psychophysiology and stuff like that. So what I would say is really watch human beings and learn to know what humans are like at an animal level as well as a psychological level. And once you know those types of things, then you can start seeing how you can apply it. That's a really hard thing to, to tell people because there's no quick, there's no silver bullets, I don't think, into getting to this properly. Get your practice in by all means. Get some technical knowledge. Um, because I, you know, the days of being able to do the job I do are, are, are just numbered. You know, I specialize in psychology and physical infiltration. Now, how many physical infiltrations do you think they're really going to be in this post-pandemic world? You know, not that many. And those that are, um, are going to be more and more difficult to do. You're not going to be able to just tailgate anymore. <laughs> and tailgating anyway is pretty basic skill. So, you know, I mean, my mother as tailgated in the past this is a base, this is a basic skill so you know i just think that that's what you need to do you need to be prepared to work really hard if you want to specialize in the non-technical side of it uh, it takes time and effort and patience and i don't think i think that's why a lot of people don't do it because it's actually it sounds so easy it sounds like such a simple thing but to do it professionally and at a high level it's it's not actually that simple at all it's about knowing exactly what will work with that person, that target, and that takes time. And from what I can see is effectively just try, try and error. So, but if you do that on the field, you might get badly burned, right? If you tailgate and something... You can't do that if, you, if you've got security. If it's a proper job, by which I mean a high, you know, a high security facility, you can't try things out because <laughs> you're going to get, you know caught and potentially beaten up by some horrible security guards or some lovely security guards who, who's actually on our side right but whose job it is is to stop you getting in and that's professionally 
uh, embarrassing and not what we want. So no, it's a, it, it really is physical infiltration, particularly. I mean, most of the people I know who are any good at physical infiltration, by which I mean, I don't mean just walking through doors and being cheeky. Uh, I mean, actually, you know, plotting and, and, and scoping a job out properly for, you know, for a decent amount of time. They mostly learned that as kids, like I did. <laughs> Please and tell me more. You know, sort of almost semi-criminal activities. And then, you know, it's hard, like, because if I was to teach, so for example, physical infiltration, if I mm-hmm. was to teach physical infiltration, I've got a couple of people who I mentor through um, through this. And the books that I'm recommending they read are books about criminals and burglars and architecture and urban exploration. And like the, the reading list is like a dozen books before I'll even have a one-to-one with them. Because it's it's... I've got to see a level of determination in someone that they actually want this job. So what's expertise? Expertise is knowledge plus experience plus passion. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to have that third one. You've got to really care about doing the job properly. And then I've got to be so sure that you're a good person before I teach you some of the real tricks. Because I was taught things before it was established whether I was going to be a good guy or a bad guy, as it were. And they should have been more careful to ask. As it turns out, I was a really lovely person and I'm actually Snow White. Yes. <laughs> and the queen of social engineering. Your words, not mine. <laughs> I think the population of the internet will agree. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. It's, it's actually interesting, but you triggered my curiosity on how did you start as a kid on breaking in? Or what, what can you disclose on, on experience as a kid and growing up and what really got your passion is about the human aspect of, of our field well, well like, i mean I've, I've, I've sort of t- i've said a couple of them before but i mean I, i'll answer you sort of i mean i was um well obviously grew up in a rough area and i, and I, I used to hang out with my cousins uh, in liverpool and, and and around liverpool and they were sort of naughty ish i bored you know not much money bored you're talking about liverpool in the early 80s like a lot of uh, UK cities are quite run down and like you just kind of made your own fun and there were a lot of abandoned buildings and we used to get into those and then as they got older they were big boys you know what I mean and, mm-hmm. and they, they ended up working in nightclubs and pubs and things as, as security on the doors and I was their little baby cousin <laughs> who looked very innocent I mean I still do look very innocent I don't look evil at all um and so there was, um, so I hung out with them and sort of learned a few things. And then they'd send me on errands, messages around Liverpool. Um, and, you know, as I got older, you know, you're sort of, sort of a young girl type of thing, dressed up and everything. I used to get in places a lot. And 
um, and I ended up doing a lot of mess, um, errands for them. I mean, one I talk about a lot that you might like is one of the first cons I ever pulled. I didn't realize it was a con. So my cousin, so they were, um, we call them bouncers. They were the doormen on a nightclub. And they said to me, um, here's a load of tickets. Go and sell these tickets. Let's say that just for argument's sake, let's say they were $10, right? So let's sell 10 pound ticket. Um, and it's for this nightclub for next week. Um, and, you know, if you can sell them for $10, you can keep five and give us five and we'll give, we'll give it to the club. So it's a sales job. So you go out on, um, I think I went out on say like the Wednesday night and there's people having a drink and everything. And you're dressed in your little dress. You're going out, you know, I'm going out. So I look like someone who, I'm not like a girl who will go to clubs. And in actual fact, I was far too young to do that. I was about 15. All right. Um, but you look older with makeup and everything. And, and, and I was good, right? So I go to these people outside clubs, men and women, you know, gangs of guys, gangs of girls. And so, you know, if you pay 10, 10 pounds per ticket on Saturday, you can get into this great club and, you know, you go to the VIP area, you get a free drink, you get to sit with all the football players. You Notice this is Liverpool, right? All, yes. the, all the football players are there. Nobody likes drinking. football. <laughs> you know exactly right and so and you know and you get your free drink and it's very cool and you know and there's the ticket and I sold about 300 <laughs> over the course of like the whole of Liverpool over the course of that kind of that week how the um, Liverpool was in the club yeah and so uh, this gorgeous new sort of newish nightclub and um I suppose to my go to my cousins, gave them all the money. They give me my cut. Everything's fine. And they said, are you in town on Saturday when this happens? And I said, yeah. And they went, well, don't go, don't go by the club. So of course, what you do, you walk past the club to see. And when I walked past the nightclub, there was crowds of people outside arguing with the door staff because the tickets were fake. <laughs> and they'd all made but 10 pounds each. It didn't but exist. Yeah, but you didn't know. You did a perfect sale job. Know. You landed it. I didn't know. That was the first time I did that. I might have known the next couple of times, shall we say. And I but, could just be saying that, you know, just for effect, just in case there's any police listening. But yeah, you know, so it was stuff like that. And, and, I, and, and I suppose, you know, and then, and then I got, and then what happened was, so I did loads of that. And we did loads of infiltration work. I used to get into all the buildings in Liverpool and around Liverpool. And then we went into places, then we went to Manchester and up to London. And, and you know, if there was an interesting building, we, we tended to get into it. And I got, mm. I sort of didn't hang out with my family just then. And it was gangs of people and various boyfriends and things as I was growing up. So, and so all of that happens. Um... And that's really kind of what got me into it. But the only reason I was hanging out so much with these older male cousins was because I was kidnapped when I was eight. And I was fine. I didn't get hit. I managed to get out. But that was the moment when I knew that I would do this for a living. Or that, and and I, like you said earlier, made a very good point. I never called this social engineering. But I knew that I felt helpless. And I, and I mean, I was really lucky not to be hit. But and I just thought I'm never going to feel like that again. And I think even though it took a little bit of time, I was always interested after that in the psychology, particularly the psychology of, as I got older, of psychopaths and of murderers and of bullies. Um, and then gradually that leads to liars and everything. 
Um, and I'm still very interested in it because I have so much more material these days than I used to. In a good or in a bad way? <laughs> that depends on what I decide to do with my knowledge, doesn't it really? But, you know... Or the perspective. And, and st- yeah. And, and, and I guess so, so... And I always just studied it. And what I didn't think would happen would be that all those cons and all those tricks and all that stuff I learned as the kids would eventually become something that had a label, social engineering, and that I'd be paid to do. Uh, and it never, it just was crazy to me. I mean, I had to help with the career at the same, I've never, I've always done social engineering. And even when I was, um, <laughs> this is so bad, but when I was working in, so I work for like big international companies, you know, I work for Marconi, I work for GE, I work for Rockwell, I work for all these companies. And then as a consultant after that, I work, I work with a lot of clients and still do. But the whole time I was on business trips and everything, I had clients who would call me. So I mean, I remember one time I was in, let's say I was in, I'm just going to make something up now because say I was in Taiwan, right? I spent a lot of time in Taiwan. Um, I'd get a call and they'd say, while you're in Taiwan, we've got, um, you know, a building that we need you to have a look around. Can you do it? And because I was young and stupid and had a massive risk appetite (laughs) and I was bored with just regular, you know, I was in procure, I was in procurement. Right. So my job was to negotiate deals Mm -hmm. particularly in Asia. I had expertise in um, Asian law, well, Chinese law, Indian law, and then a little bit more of of Southeast Asia, but certainly in the cultural aspects, but I was still like, that wasn't enough. That wasn't exciting enough. And anyway, that I would generally be paid an awful lot of money. I may be paid um, the equivalent of a month's salary to do one social engineering job while I was in Taiwan or wherever. So I always did it. Um, but it had no name. No, Not it didn't. Until and, 10 years ago. And as you, as you rightfully said, it's, it's a little bit of mix of skills that you pick up on the job. And the more variegated I think you are, uh, a little bit on sales, a little bit on procurement, but dealing with people ultimately, because all these jobs, even even corporate, you had to deal with people to step up the ladder. And one of the first books I think I remember reading about it that really hit me is um, Daniel Carnegie about influencing people, or winning friends and influencing people. And that that was the, the, the basic rule that, that opened me a word and said, well, I really like this stuff because it, it's common sense, but Mm. When it's you a think, classic of influence and it still is a classic even though it's old now and I've, I've, read, I've read it like 15 times and it was the first one that opened me a word on saying it's kind of logical things but if you think about it uh, and apply it in a consistent way or you may, you pay attention you cannot see the human word becoming something different like a study field and I think yeah, that's what fascinated me that and then you become when you when you you know sharpen the skills to a, to a really um to a big extent and when it's something that you've done for a long time it, you can feel it can feel very strange it can feel very strange to me uh, like I, I like weird situations happen so i've had times when i've been tasked with doing a physical infiltration mm-hmm. i've been inside someone's office and then years later that client hired me to do training and it feels like you become you know, one aspect, be, one other. I've already been here. You know, people say, okay, we'll just show you where, you know, we'll just show you where the, you know, the facilities are, show you where the coffee shop, coffee room is. And I'm like, I know, I know where it is. And you told them that you know? <laughs> well, because it will be, because I won't have done it 
you know, someone will have hired me to do it, but it won't, it won't be, you know, I might be hired to do some training on, say I'm hired to do training on um, interrogation techniques or interview technique. So I might be, I've HR mm-hmm. and teaching them how to spot lies and, and stuff like that, but they won't know I'll have been hired by the security team. Um, and, I, and I won't tell them because one of the things is I would never say, never say you will work for um, explicitly. Never. So is social engineering coming, uh, in your word, only from a security team? Because I was discussing this with Joe. This, this set of skills, and I'm just going to categorize a set of skills, not putting me in the label, can be applied to a lot of things, to sales, to procurement, as you just said, to just dealing with people. So a lot of stuff that you do comes from uh, right now from security team or from other, other side jobs, other side part of the organization. So I get somewhere from the security team. Um, I get physical infiltration from the security team, but I, I get a lot of sales teams want me to teach them some of the skills there. And that, like you're saying, that's why I pull back a bit because it can be very manipulative. So I don't mm. teach. I've never taught the full, I have 45 modules of this social advanced social engineering course. And I've taught about four people. It will never say who it was the full 45 so i'll teach some people some of it and some people other bits um i never really so i get hired by sales teams for influence persuasion um and also for hypnosis so like hypnotic language patterns and stuff like that for sales which is evil Uh, well see nlp i'm not a fan of nlp i studied nlp to master's level so you can study it to master practitioner level i studied it to that level because i was interested um but there's only parts of it that, that I have faith in. Mm-hmm. Now, a few years ago, I would have said shit, it's all loads of crap, basically. It's a load of real rubbish. But it, it kind of isn't. There's bits of it, the pure bits are very, very effective. And I've got good friends who are amazing NLP practitioners. But the problem is, is it's sold as if that's a topic that's so, people make a lot of money out of it. And it's sold as if it's the panacea, as if it will solve everything for you and it won't necessarily and that's why i don't like it because there's a dishonesty in that industry but the actual language patterns and stuff if you if you can understand how language works and how to put those patterns into place you know you can persuade people of a lot of things but that makes it dangerous as well so i would be taught more linguistics than nlp um, strictly speaking i can't agree more on the there is a lot of Fluff going around, there is a lot of deceiving going around, especially in their world. And uh, I studied a little bit because it was absolutely interesting and specifically the interaction between body language or touching or feeling and how do you program certain patterns and things. So without going too much neurolinguistic programming, it's kind of an evil field, but also very super interesting. Well, the thing is that a lot of the body language um techniques that the nlp promote are fake so one of the things they'll say is like in lie detection mm-hmm. so they'll say that eye signals one of the old things nlp says is the eye signals so that if you're telling the truth and by the way they say this is actually the official line is in a normal right-handed person what is a normal right-handed person (laughs) which is language that we'd avoid anyway i mean what's normal anyway but what they mean you know is some with normal I guess, neurology. I mean, that's how it was explained to me. A normal right hand. So if you're left-handed, you're not even normal, um, according to it. But whatever. But let's just go this. But, you know, in a regular kind of person, 
if you're um what they'll say is you look up and to the right if you're telling the truth and you look up and to the left if you're lying now anecdotally i used to teach nlp i had lessons and lessons of it and i used to always say at the beginning this is a load of bollocks but i'll teach you it anyway and some of it works but I love this straight. I love how straight and and punchy you are because it's true. <laughs> I, I just love it. It's it's load of bollocks. But I'd say like you know, um, think of a, a. I want you to put this image in your mind. Imagine a T Rex in a wedding dress. And because most people haven't thought about that too carefully, they'll look off and to the left because they're um, constructing that image, right? So it's construction. So, or I'd set up a case study and get some of them to lie and some of them to tell the truth. And, and anecdotally, you, you do tend to look up to the right when you remember things, mm-hmm. but like it, it's been scientifically disproved so many times by Richard Wiseman and his team, um, I think at Edinburgh, um, if, I, if I remember rightly. So, you know, that you can't rely on those things. And I think that's one of the things as well that it annoys me generally in the industry and generally with people trying to be social engineers is that you can't read six books and watch two interviews and then go and, and, and say you know about it. It takes more than that. Or rather you can if, if you just want to kind of admit that, you know, you're not an expert or, or get going. But what you really, really shouldn't do is advise people on a serious matter where people's lives and money and businesses are at risk. And that's the problem with NLP. It's like, that's a quick, imagine if that was true. Imagine if I said, Francesco, it's true. If you get someone to t- tell you something, that I promise you that they'll look to the right if they're telling the truth. And look to the left if they were lying. If that was true, there'd be no one guilty outside of prison, would there? That the police have questioned. There'd be no one innocent in prison. There it's is just gray too area. easy. There is it's the gray too area. Easy. Yeah. But yeah. it's if you take it, NLP usually target people that are so thirsty for that quick bullet solution or are so demanding that they kind of become and, and believe in that and whatever they, they come because it's a solution. They see it as a silver bullet for their problem. But then you see, this is the pro- this is one of the problems is once you've paid money to study that, and then once you've publicly admitted that you think it's great, it doesn't matter then what happens to show you that that's not true, right? You are yeah. never going to go back on it. And that's why people vote for certain politicians. And then it should, and I'm not going to say which ones, but uh, you know, if someone votes for a politician, that politician turns out to be a raving lunatic or turns out to be a liar or turns out to be morally reprehensible whatever it is they will not then go back and say oh actually i was wrong and you shouldn't have voted for them because they've publicly admitted that they voted for them so it's this commitment and consistency one of uh, Sheldini's principles of influence commitment and consistency is just going to punch you every time people are going to stick with what they publicly admitted and so that's why but what i do say is if you are interested in in social engineering from the human side of things then you really do have to you should study nlp at least a little bit because it's important to understand what people believe it's like being an atheist you still should know about religion because you've got to make a choice and say well this and, and even if you make the choice and say okay well i choose not to believe in something or i just don't believe in something um but then what you have to do then is understand that it informs the way other people behave so like when i talk about social engineers um, and people coming up through coming up through and, and, and becoming prominent social engineers you've got to look and say well i can see what they've stu-. you know you look and say well what have you studied what are you willing to contribute and are you willing to say um, okay, well, we're going to take this and change that because that's the best thing that we could possibly have. You know, people who've listened 
you know to sort of those who've gone on before and evolved the topic you know that that's amazing imagine bringing things into social engineering from different disciplines you know that's one of the best things that we could have because it's a creative um practice yeah but you've is. got to be able to put the time you've got to be prepared to put the time in and bring that in and that takes time and effort and i think that's what i have a, a lot of talks i do that say i think you think it's a, you know a lot of the time when they say social engineering people think it's about smiles and free pizza and just cruising through um through you know entrances into buildings and it, it's it's not really there's more to it than that fascinating um, it's absolutely fascinating but we almost come to the top of the hour so uh, almost at the limit it's it's like a pattern of truth. I, I was inter- I was always been interested in social engineering, and the more I hear from you, the more I get thirsty <laughs> about knowing it more. So, uh, if you can give one advice of where people can go and, and listen, aside from the ITSP and, and your podcast, where they can see you or hear you from in the next in the next I don't know six months. Right. Well, so. The webs, my website is humanfactorsecurity.co.uk and they, and on there you can see the back catalogue of articles and podcasts because the podcast really isn't me so much as me interviewing guests and the guests that come on, you know, on my show have various expertise um, and, and I think that's, that, that's part of, of where people could go. I wouldn't suggest, I'm not going to recommend books and things because again, all of the guests up until very recently, we always ask guests what books they recommend. Okay. And we kind of stopped that for just for now for reasons I'm not going to go into. But after summer, so we're in, we're in uh, July, after summer, um, there'll be a lot, of, there'll be a few changes to my brand and to the website and that type of thing. So what I'd say is keep an eye on that human factor security um, hashtag um, and see what we come back. We will come back with lots of things. But I intend to put some training out and I am doing, um, and I'll do them maybe once, a month or so i'll just do some free training so it's about 20 minutes of knowledge so we started off with um just this week i did non-verbal communications and microfacial expressions um and we had you know it's not a huge group it's about 25 people before i, I call it a day because that'd be too many and then next time i'll probably do interrogation techniques but if that takes off i'm happy for people to um ask me to talk about the topic and i already know that people want to know how to break into buildings Yes, of course they will. But That's what I, they want. And Ness and Dorma. That's what they want. They want to know, how can I stop my enemy from ever sleeping again? <laughs> That's what they want to know. I know, but it, it's so fascinating. Everything that you say can be applicable to any kind of field. So it's just amazing. But before we close off, uh, there is one other tradition that we do that is a positive view on cybersecurity. So if you can give a positive message to people, and the positive message from me to you is I, I massively admire your ethic and it's amazing. So you deserve the green of social engineering. But if you thank can you, give Francesca. if you can give the audience your positive message. Well what I'd say is I never expected that a community of techies would give a shit about what I did. Let it would wouldn't understand it and wouldn't care, and you know as it turns out, the community has a lot of problems, right? You know, it's, it's a very kind of close community. It feels like a big family, but it feels like a family who are in a pub at eleven o'clock on a Friday night sometimes with all the fights and everything that goes on. But the positive message I'd say is, um, it is a community that's welcoming, and it is a place where if you ask for help, 
people help you if you have a cause to promote people help you promote it so my positive message i think it that really comes through during this um, pandemic and um there's a lot of resources in our community if people want to get into it. So, you know, they, we can be, by and large, it's a nice place and people are welcoming. And I think that's a, that's a good thing. Um, I think we all need to be more open-minded and, and kind of raise the bar a little bit in things like um, diversity, particularly um, in, in lieu of the process and the Black Lives Matter movement. I think, we, you know, we all need to try harder to make sure that that's the case. But by and large, we're a community that does that. So my positive message is about the community always. Oh, and also... Positive message, don't forget B-Sides Liverpool, 21st November, speaking the community. <laughs> Amazing. Hopefully we are going to be there and we're going to be getting rid of COVID and all this lockdown. So I am absolutely looking forward to see you at B-Sides and a massive, super massive thank you for coming on the show. It's been oh. an absolute blast, an absolute pleasure and you have content of information. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and from our listener, I'm sure. Thank you, Jenny oh, Radcliffe, on the thanks show. Thanks for inviting me, Francesco. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP. And watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Mm-hmm.